This is Financial Standard, the definitive source of news, thought leadership and analysis for Australian wealth management professionals. Financial Standard. Take the lead. Hello and welcome to the Financial Standard podcast. I'm your host, Karen Vergara, Senior Journalist for Financial Standard. Emerging market debt may have had a rough 2021, but investment experts forecast a brighter 2022. Joining me today is Arif Joshi, Managing Director and Portfolio Manager at Lazard Asset Management, to discuss the opportunities that lay ahead. Arif, thank you so much for joining me today. What have been the major themes in emerging market debt in 2021, and how has the asset class performed? Sure. Um, So first of all, thank you for inviting me to talk to you about emerging market debt. Um, What's interesting about 2021 is it's somewhat of a microcosm. Uh, on what's happened in emerging market debt for the last 11 years, uh, which is it's been a pretty rough year for the asset class. Um, locally denominated emerging market debt uh, is is down high single digits uh, in terms of total returns. Uh, dollar denominated, US dollar denominated emerging market debt is down about 2%. Uh, so overall on a blended basis, this asset class is down about four to 5% for the year. Um, and what's interesting uh, about that is that there are in fact parts of the capital structure of emerging market countries uh, and of emerging market companies uh, which have had positive returns uh, this year. So this used to be an asset class 20 years ago where all parts of the asset class, whether it's equities, dollar denominated debt, local rates, currencies, corporate debt, all moved in the exact same direction. And for the last 10 years and including this year, uh, in fact, there are parts of the asset class which do well while other parts of the asset class uh, do poorly. So as an emerging market manager, you've had to evolve your skill set over time. Not only do you have to get the country right uh, within emerging markets, but then you've got to get the part mm. of the capital structure that's relevant during this time um, that, that will give you outsized gains. What skills were you referring to when you talk about manager skills? Yeah, so I, when, when you think about bottom-up credit skills, uh, because at the end of the day, when you're a dollar-denominated debt investor, mm-hmm. you are simply looking for two things. You're looking for the ability of that country or company to pay you back, which is a balance sheet analysis, mm-hmm. and you're looking for the willingness of that credit uh, to pay you back. When you're talking about traditional balance sheet analysis, you're looking at the foreign exchange reserves uh, of that country the overall fiscal balance, how quickly they're growing, the current account to make sure that the flows are balanced um, uh, uh, moving uh, in and out of that country. That in many ways is the easier part uh, to to judge how much do I need to get paid for the balance sheet risk uh, of this this entity. The willingness to pay part when you're looking at dollar denominated debt um, is much more qualitative. Uh, Traditionally, the lower uh, the credit rating uh, or a history of defaults uh, gives you some indication on, on the willingness to pay. But you've also got to del- delve a little deeper and look at how important is servicing the dollar-denominated debt to that country. Can mm-hmm. they withstand being in default, meaning they don't need access to credit markets? Uh, or uh, do, you know, are, are they an oil importer and as a result of that have to stay current uh, on, on, on their debt um, at, at all times? When you look at the local side, it's very different because local uh, debt in emerging markets is relative. It's relative to whatever your funding currency is. Mm -hmm. Um, So for most of the world, that's the US dollar. 
So not only do you have to get the emerging market side of the story right, but you also have to get the developed uh, side of the story correct also. And so you're looking at relative growth in emerging markets versus the developed world. You're looking at relative interest rates in emerging markets versus the developed world. So one is more absolute, which is a dollar denominated debt. The other is, is much more relative in terms of the skill sets uh, as an emerging market uh, portfolio manager. Interesting. Um, what is the biggest misconception about emerging market debt, do you think? Yeah, I, I think as a general rule in finance, and this has been the case for hundreds of years, if you get paid more in yield for buying a bond, nine times out of 10, it means you're taking more leverage risk. Um, that is why you're getting paid. Um, that is the biggest misconception because in emerging markets, there's actually less leverage risk. So when you look at country by country, investment grade versus investment grade, double B versus double B, single B versus single B, emerging markets versus its global peers, almost always the emerging market country has a better balance sheet than the developed world. So you're not getting paid extra yield and EM because of leverage risk, but be very careful. There's no free lunch. You are getting paid for taking an additional risk. And what that risk is, is that emerging markets as an asset class, these countries have really only been around in terms of modern finance for 25 years. And so you have to judge the credibility of this central bank of an emerging market country with only two decades of experience. And where the rubber hits the road is, and, and, and think about the last 18 months of experience through COVID, is a developed market central bank can print money, entertain QE to an unlimited, almost unlimited amount, run 13 and 14% fiscal deficits, and yet developed market yields go lower and people buy their currencies. If you're an emerging market country and you tried any one of those uh, uh, policy tools, normally the reaction in, in markets is that your currency sells off and your spreads widen. So EM plays by very different rules. And the name of the game in emerging markets is with this limited uh, 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 information set of 20 years, 20 to 25 years, is figure out which countries are traditionally improving in terms of their credibility of their institutions and which ones are deteriorating. And if you can really narrow down on those improving names, you can produce significant alpha witness in, within this asset class. It is a relatively young asset class when you think about it compared to equities. So that, that leads me to my next question. Is it perceived as more risky than emerging market equities? Yeah, so that may be a perception out there because I, you know, myself and, and, and our team growing up in emerging markets, we, we started in the asset class in the late 1990s and early 2000s. And so I think a lot of uh, investors remember the Asian financial crisis. They remember the Russian default. They remember Argentina defaulting a number of different times uh, over the years. Um, and so that has certainly uh, uh, tainted the reputation of emerging markets. Um, and from that perspective, uh, people tend to be a lot more comfortable investing in emerging market equities versus emerging market debt. However, you know, the traditional way of looking at risk um, in, in uh, capital markets is you take a look at volatility and you take a, take a look at, at um, drawdowns uh, in, as a sense of jump to default uh, type, of, type of risks. 
And emerging market debt, dollar-denominated debt, has a volatility of around 6% going back for the last 20 years. Local debt has a volatility of around 14%. Uh, and you have to go all the way up to 18, 19, 20% uh, to get to emerging market equity. So, so in the traditional measures, um, dollar-denominated debt is about half the volatility of emerging market equities, um, uh, a combination of both dollar debt uh, and local debt. And in fact, the default rate, whether it's for emerging market countries or for emerging market corporates, the default rate is lower in emerging markets than what you find uh, in the developed world. So on both metrics, uh, we consider uh, uh, emerging market debt significantly less risky uh, than most of the equity markets out there. Um, for those investors interested in investing in emerging market debt, let's zero in on the countries, like which countries are attractive at the moment? Yeah, so it, it, it gets back to your earlier question about what sets these countries apart, and it really mm -hmm. is that institutional framework. Um, and, and so this is what, it, when you're looking at, for example, an ESG framework, this is the G part. This is what we've been all focused on as emerging market investors for the better part of the last 20 years, uh, is to try and get a sense of the credibility on the fiscal, the credibility uh, on the monetary policy uh, within these countries. So I'll give you uh, an example, and, 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 and you have to really look at the entire opportunity set of emerging markets. So Latin America, Asia, Africa, Eastern Europe, there are a number of countries in Africa which we think policy is fantastic. Uh, Ivory Coast is, is one example of that. Benin is another example of that. These are countries which have put into their constitutions limits on how high the fiscal deficit can be. That is a great example of improving credibility of your, of your fiscal management. They also happen to be countries that are part of the West African Monetary Union, whose currency is backed uh, by euros. And so that limits the overall flexibility of the monetary system, which is a risk, but it also gives a lot of stability uh, of that monetary system that you're not printing money, that you don't have hyperinflation. And so um, we've seen in, in these West African countries growth of six to 8% a year, traditionally a fiscal deficit of around 3%, which means the primary um, uh, numbers are about uh, in balance. Um, and debt to GDP ratio somewhere between 35 and 50%, uh, which is well below the level of sustainability that both you know, we look for and, and the IMF looks for. I think on the flip side, there are a number of big countries. Turkey is a great example of this, mm -hmm. where the president of Turkey fires the head of the central bank when he doesn't like that uh, uh, the central bank is hiking rates uh, for inflation. When you do that, it goes directly to central bank credibility and everything else being equal, you need to get paid more to take Turkish risk because of the worries about credibility uh, uh, of the central bank. And, and, and the easiest way to see it is in the significant depreciation of the Turkish currency, the lira, not only this year, but over the last uh, four to five years, that is a manifestation of poor economic policy. Mm, interesting. Um, just a quick one. How do you, as an emerging market debt investor, how much do you rely on the credit rating agencies? How is that factored in your decision-making process? Yeah, so, so, so for, uh, I'll start by saying that uh, we have hired a number of analysts from the credit rating agencies. Uh, so I have a lot of respect for them. Uh, they have a very, very difficult job uh, in, in analyzing these countries. Um, 
And, and, and so we do interact with the credit rating agencies to make sure we have all of our bases covered in terms of the, the vulnerability of each country. And this is important because every single emerging market investor out there and all the credit rating agencies, this is not 25 years ago where we had to fly down to Lagos or Buenos Aires or Jakarta to get information. We all have the exact same information. Um, we all have spreadsheets, heat maps, uh, the fiscal deficits, the current account, inflation expectations, uh, GDP growth, uh, and, and we can see where one country is doing poorly versus another. The secret sauce in emerging markets is to figure out what is the unique Achilles heel for that country. And so in Turkey, it happens to be a current account deficit that is funded by portfolio flows. Um, in Kenya, it happens to be the fiscal deficit. In Brazil, it's a combination of the fiscal deficit and the, and the overall debt to GDP. And it takes quite a bit of experience in markets to understand mm -hmm. which vulnerability matters and which one doesn't on a per country basis. Um, ultimately, the job of the credit rating agencies is to bring that data uh, into, in, into focus and to stress test uh, that data. It is not the job of the credit rating agencies to then assign a value to it. Um, and so our job is to look at the, uh, um, uh, the fundamentals of each country and then be able to come up with an overall level of risk that we need to get paid for to take within that country, both for external debt spreads, where local rates should be, how, how, where the currency should be trading versus uh, the developed world. And so we do that formulaically on a month-end basis for all 76 countries uh, that we invest in uh, within emerging market debt. Wow, well explained. Um, as we know, 2022 is just around the corner. What's in store for emerging market debt? Yeah, so, so uh, let me start by, uh, by saying that First, you have to ask yourself, why has emerging markets underperformed for a decade? So this is an asset class where you're taking additional risk. You should be getting additional reward. And you were rewarded handsomely from 2001 all the way through 2010. And then uh, from 2010 to 2021, you would have been better off investing in, in almost every instance in your local market uh, if, you're, if you're in a developed world country. So U.S. stocks have done very well. U.S. treasuries have done very well. Aussie equities, uh, pretty much a, a, across the board. The, the single largest reason for emerging market underperformance is lack of growth. And so to, to, to give you a stark example, if you take the 76 countries that we invest in in emerging markets, they grew on an average of 6% in 2010, and the U.S. grew at 2.3%. Nine years later, right before COVID, the U.S. was still growing at 2.3%. So that's mm -hmm. under Obama, we grew at 2.3%. Under Trump, we grew at 2.3%. The U.S. has been uh, at this, and then that's a pretty high rate of growth for the United States, by the way. Meanwhile, emerging markets went from 6% to 2 So it's been a straight line negative move in growth in emerging markets, all the way to the point pre-COVID that EM actually sank below uh, uh, the United States and overall growth. And so you have to ask yourself question, if the growth is in the developed world, why would you invest in EM? And that's, that's the, the, the answer that investors have been uh, uh, making is they've been taking their money uh, out of EM. Mm -hmm. So to directly answer your question is in 2022, you've got to follow the growth patterns. So which way, what, what is the direction of developed market growth next year? It's going to be negative. 
We're coming off the single highest growth year in the developed world in our investing lifetime. So over the last 25 years, it was pumped by stimulus, significant fiscal stimulus, significant monetary stimulus. And in addition to just simple base effects, we all know that growth is going to fall uh, in the developed world next year. We don't know the magnitude of that growth uh, uh, decline. And meanwhile, in emerging markets, which have been underperforming in terms of overall growth, the magnet, which is which in, in economic terms is always the potential growth rate of a country, that's where growth should get to over time. That should be pulling emerging markets higher next year. Um, mm. So what we're looking for in our forecast is a slight increase in emerging market growth in 2022 versus 2021, a decline in developed market growth in 2022 versus 2021. To the extent that that happens, emerging markets are in a very good position to outperform in 2022. I will add one caveat, mm -hmm. which is emerging market countries have to get religion around policy. So the, 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 there are bond market vigilantes out there for emerging markets. There are none <laughs> in the developed world. And so as investors in emerging markets, we punish the countries that, um, that don't show fiscal discipline, that uh, uh, borrow significantly higher than their capacity to pay. And you greatly reward the countries uh, that, are, that are able to um, uh, generally run uh, secure uh, fiscal and monetary regimes. So there will be significant winners in 2022 under that uh, uh, backdrop of global growth, uh, but it really is dependent on emerging market countries from a policy perspective uh, to make the right choices. Arif, thank you so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure. We've learned such a lot today. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Arif Joshi from Lazard Asset Management. We hope that you enjoyed today's discussion. Please remember that you can subscribe to Financial Standard wherever you listen to your favourite podcast. Thanks for listening to this Financial Standard podcast. For more information, visit financialstandard.com.au. Please keep in mind that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider personal circumstances. Reliance should not be placed on any content without further independent financial research and advice. 